I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. Back with another pod from lockdown. My name is Adam Bayfield and joining me on the telephone is Tony Kerr. Hey. How's it going, Tony? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah. You're holding up okay? Ticky it's a bit weird, isn't it? No one's really sh- I feel like no one's really sure how to greet each other now because you can't really sort of say like, oh, what have you been up to? You been up so much today? Yeah, true. I suppose uh, to make to put it into a kind of cricketing analogy, I guess, uh, sort of milking singles. Really, there's no there's no big hitting, is there? Socially, it's just kind of like touching base here and there, rotating the strike. Fiddling it around. Yeah, exactly. It's just a weird situation. That I was just saying to you before we started recording. It's every day is the same, really. Now, no more weekends. It's just very odd. And I, yeah, I'm not. Well, I've started saying, "Are you holding up okay?" To people, I feel like that kind of splits the difference between just being like overly glib uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh you know how's it going and being like i really hope your you and your loved ones are safe and well and you know it's uh it's tricky it's a tricky balance to strike i, I noticed <laughs> on the podcast last week you you did an interview with uh, guernsey cricketer will peatfield and i hadn't heard that interview when when we were having our chat but then i listened to it and it just made me laugh at the end of that that you finished things off by saying Oh well, thanks very much for that. We'll uh, enjoy the rest of lockdown, <laughs> which uh, which I'm going to start saying to people. Yeah, just enjoy a happy lockdown, I guess. I don't know. It's all very, it is very weird. You know, the sun's been out for about well, for effectively all of lockdown. Um, you know, everyone, yeah, everyone in Guernsey who can has been, um, or seemingly been out enjoying. You know, and to the most to the most part, it seems like socially distantly enjoying. Yeah, swimming and cycling and just being in the outdoors. So, like in many ways, sort of externally anyway, it seems like everyone's doing. You know, m- most people seem to be doing all right. But you just, I don't know. It, it, the longer it goes on, early on, everyone kind of checks in and sort of. But weeks, the weeks have gone by really quickly. Uh, you know, early on in the first week, you know, I might have spoken to a few people and be like, "Yeah, you know, how are you doing?" And then everyone's fine then. But it's like what four weeks later. Uh, yeah, and you haven't spoken to your girlfriend in weeks. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, she's all right. <laughs> I haven't ventured out of the spare room into the into the living room. Then, see yeah. how she's getting on. No, yeah. you're right. It must be it must be the best spring ever weather wise. It's uh, quite yeah. a juxtaposition. Um, but I, mean, I feel like that as well. Like we're 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 you know we're absolutely fine here. Me and Elena and Teddy, you know, and it's mostly okay. And even in some ways, it's quite good. It's nice to spend so much time with Teddy. And yeah, as you say, getting out and about in the weather. But so that it's that's fine as long as I only think about today and tomorrow but you know where if I turn on the news or if I mm. start thinking about how long it might last um then yeah I have a bit of a wobble and obviously should say um you know 
we and and uh, you and Emily as well are obviously in a much better situation than, than many people. So, uh, very much hope everyone listening yeah. to this is uh, is doing okay. But we're we're cracking on with the podcast. I'm I'm enjoying doing these lockdown episodes actually, Tony. It's nice to kind of take a step back and think about some different topics. Although actually, mostly what we're doing is reminiscing, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of it suits us. We can really sort of lean into our nostalgia. And also, you know, like. And we'll come on to it. Uh, I did the homework for this week, but you know, there's definitely a weight off my shoulders in that we can talk about cricket, and there's no cricket that I've not seen. So you know, I've seen all the cricket. So um, (laughs) that's true. Not all of the cricket. Well, be careful. Yeah, don't don't uh, promise things you can't deliver. Don't write checks that you can't cash because. uh, I, I would I would guarantee there's some cricket you haven't seen. I think there might be, but you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, we come on this chat and you sort of bring up, I don't know, yeah, Bangladesh, New Zealand, the, the second test or something, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I sort of I followed pretend, the scorecard. to pretend that you've, that you've watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen bits of it. Yeah, Williamson. It was always the thing, though, is that when you've not, when someone asks you or you ask someone if they've seen something and they haven't, they always say, yeah, bits. Yeah. Even though, yeah. like never, you know, not seeing a minute of it. Or, or the my favorite one is, I was going to watch that, <laughs> yeah, and then I didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, we've got some other friends who uh, are less into cricket, but more into sort of you know movies and TV and stuff that that, that like to chat to us about it. Um, but there's, there's been some real pressure, hasn't there? Or some like really ambitious recommendations being made, being like, oh, you know, you should use this time to kind of go back through the, you know, the John Ford back catalogue or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, no- I noticed, that, you know, in my surveillance on Twitter that you were, you were sort of, uh, you were sniping away with, with someone else about the idea that you've got lots of free time to also be, enjo- be enjoying the kind of like retrospectives <laughs> of various movies. Were you surveilling me? Yeah, I was. Twitter? Well, yeah, it's just messages are pinging in all the time from people like, mate, You've got to watch Oakja. (laughs) Guys, it's not going to happen. I haven't watched a movie for six months. There's not a chance. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to turn into one of those people who's like, you know, sniping at their friends who don't have children. Um, But on the other hand, I am going to do that. Enjoy it, mate. Just enjoy it. But having said that, we're not, you know, you're not watching many movies. We have watched back, uh, you know, a bit of cricket, which we're going to talk about, aren't we? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mentioned we're we're really leaning into our nostalgia. So we we spoke about the 2005 Ashes a couple of weeks ago. And um, so, you know, go back and have a listen to that pod if you want to uh, if you want to wallow in the, in that nostalgia with us. Uh, but today we're going even further back, deep into the post Atherton era. I'll set the scene for you, Tony. The year is 2001. George W. Bush has just been sworn in as the 43rd president of the United States. The Mir space station is completing its final few orbits of the Earth before plummeting to the Pacific. And on a small island in the English Channel, a young Tony Kerr is playing Dreamcast in his bedroom and dreaming of a future in show business. (laughs) And meanwhile, in India, one of the greatest test series of all time is taking place. That's right, Tony, we're talking about that famous India-Australia series from 2001. Now, this is inspired by an email from a listener which I can read to you now. This came in from this came in from Vivek uh, in Hyderabad, who says, "Gents, love your show and have been listening to the podcast for about three years. How about you take a look back at the 2001 Test series between India 
and Australia, the juggernaut Aussie team that was surprisingly stopped by Ganguly's India. I was a teenager when that happened and witnessing that series as it unraveled was mind-blowing to say the least. Uh, and then he finishes saying, anyway, nice job on the podcast and love, love the banter. It almost appears as though Adam tends to dish out more of the banter than Tony. Come on, Tony, give him some shit too. Don't be so nice. So apparently you need to banter me off more well, time. But I guess the, the problem you've got is that there just isn't much to say about me. Well, just look over your shoulder, mate. That's all I say. I'm coming for you. That's why I've been surveilling your uh, social media <laughs> output. But yeah, I know what I was to say, you know, you can't be dishing out much banter to me this week because I did actually watch the um I watched the the YouTube video you sent me, the highlights. Yeah, the highlights from that series. So you're uh, you're well across it. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll quickly recap for the listeners. Uh, I, yeah, it's worth saying that there are some uh, some pretty extensive highlights on YouTube of this series and I will put the links in the description to this podcast. Um but Oh, hang, hang on. Just got to, hang on, two sacks. I've left something in the oven. What did you leave in the oven? Well, I think, as I informed you before, I was uh, I was a few minutes late for the podcast because I was topping a pie with That's some pastry. That's not like you. Oh yeah, I've never used pastry as an excuse though. In fact, I was I was surveilling your Twitter tone, and the other day you were you were saying that one of the best things about lockdown was that you haven't been late for anything for weeks. <laughs> I've been late for about three things. You've been today. late for every podcast we've done. I've done two things today, and I've been late for three of them. <laughs> Yeah. Have you burnt the pie? No, no, perfect. Well, so the pie has been topped with pastry and put away, but then I put the offcuts of pastry onto a tray and cook them. Delicious. Well, they will be when I eat them. That was like all you ate until you were about 14 years old. I know. I just love pastry. That's, <laughs> whenever you come up in conversation with my mum, she always asks me, she always asks me if you're still eating the pastry. Oh, there you go. You like tell her, yes, he is. Main memory of you is <laughs> eating pastry on its own. Young Tony really made a big impression on your mum. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, back to the cricket. So, yeah, as I was saying, uh, for people who didn't see the series at the time or, or it's a, a distant memory, just a quick recap. I'm going to talk for a while now, Tony. In my opinion, it's probably the only rival to that 2005 Ashes as the best test series in our lifetime. Only three tests, which maybe counts against it, but they were all fantastic, particularly the last two. And like 2005, it involved that same Australian side that was arguably the best team of all time, or certainly one of the two or three best. And like 2005, it involved an underdog upsetting the odds and uh, coming back from losing the first game and taking that great team down. And the middle test of that series in Kolkata is widely considered to be one of the best test matches of all time. Uh, it saw India becoming only the third team in Test history to win after following on, uh, and in the process they they broke Australia's 16 Test winning streak. Um, so in the first Test of the series, Australia won comfortably by 10 wickets, and then in that second Test in Kolkata, uh, they posted 400 plus batting first with Steve Waugh making 100. They then bowled India out for just 171, asked them to follow on, and then VVS Latchman and Rahul Dravid produced. One of the all-time great partnerships in Test cricket, Dravid with 180, 
Latram with 281. They declared on 657 after batting for 178 overs and then bowled Australia out for 212 in 68 overs on the final day. Uh, Harbhajan Singh taking six wickets to go with the seven he took in the first innings. So they had, there were seven overs left when they finally wrapped it up to spark pretty astonishing scenes. And they then followed that up. I mean, that Kolkata test was so good that people sometimes forget how good the test in Chennai that followed it was as well. So uh, Matthew Hayden scored a double hundred in the first innings of that. It was countered by a Sachin Tendulkar special. He made 120-odd. Harbhajan took another 15 wickets in the match uh, to finish with 32 in the series. Uh, but Australia set India a target of 155. And Latchman produced another great inning, 66 in the run chase. They were 100 for two. But a sudden batting collapse of, of six for 50 set nerves jangling. Uh, but in the end, they did get there with just two wickets in hand. Harbajan, rather fittingly, hitting the winning runs. So, yes, Tone, as you say, you've done the homework. You've watched the highlights. Uh, you just watched the highlights of Kolkata, is that right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know how you felt watching it back now do you remember much about it at the time i, I remember it i don't yeah i don't remember watching a huge amount of it at, at, at the time but i do remember it going on yeah i do remember the um i remember particularly the partnership because that that i think that really kind of cemented it's one of those things i guess we weren't that young then were we we were how old were we 14 15 13 14 yeah um but that kind of really it's those things quite early on when you watch sport relatively early on where if something happens, it kind of cements in your mind that that's what happens or that's how people... So it very much sort of cemented in the kind of the, yeah, Latchman, Dravid, just like legend, you know, the, the sort of legendary status really in, in, in certainly, yeah, in my eyes. And it kind of, yeah, it, watching that back, I, I'd kind of forgotten how good it was, particularly like Latchman in that, that innings. There's one shot he plays... I, try, I should have written... I, oh, I always mean to make notes, and then I'm like, <laughs> "Nah, I don't need to make notes. I'll remember. I'll remember it when it comes to it." Yeah, you but, can't remember anything. No, there's one shot he plays. I think it might be the first boundary hits after he makes the 200. Warren bowls one. It's a, I don't know. It's it's a it's a, a, a you know good way outside leg stump, and he just like hops across, just kind of strokes it perfectly, strokes it through the field on the offside cover drive. Just unbelievable. You know, you're talking about one of you know one of the probably one of the top three bowlers of all time. Um, and yeah, just to see, you know, okay, he's made 200 and, and probably worn at that point is, is, you know, even for a legend is, is ran into the ground a bit, but yeah. Well, it's worth remembering as well. Like you, you said, it sort of cemented Latchman as a legend in your eyes, but it's worth remembering that he was actually very young. And very well, no, that's what I mean. Team at that point. That, but that was like, that was, that's what I mean though, as in, yeah, it may, you know, it could have been his debut and I still, but you watch that and you kind of just think like, just, I don't know. It's one of those performances where um, you kind of assume that's always been the case that that, that 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 player, you know, and it could easily have been. Sometimes you see those kind of performances, and the player, like in whatever sport, might drift off a bit. You always assume they're brilliant, even if they aren't. But obviously, with Latchman, he did go on to become a you know an all time great. Well, I, I felt a bit like that actually about watching this back about uh, Matthew Hayden because I re- I do remember um, watching bits of this series at the time. And Hayden and Latchman both scored more than 500 runs in the series, which, you know, in three tests is pretty extraordinary. Um, and just watching the highlights of the Chennai test, when Hayden goes to his 100, he goes on to get a double 100. When he goes to his 100, the commentator says, and there it is, his third test century. I was like, wait, what? 
his third test century. He scored his second test century in the first test. Um, you know, I, to me, like at the time, I thought, oh, he's obviously, you know, he's he's been around forever. He's a sort of giant of the game. But actually, he was uh, he was a bit of a late bloomer. So he was twenty nine, I think. But he was yeah. new to the team, and that was really the start of things for Matthew Hayden. You know, that wasn't sort of the middle of his career. That's how he made his name in that series. Yeah. I was going to say, likewise, Gilchrist as well, because he'd only played a few tests at that point. I mean, we're talking about all these legends, and that, that's, that's kind of the first thing that really struck me watching, uh, watching the highlights, is when the, uh, when the two team cards came up. I mean, there really can't have been many series in history with more all-time great batsmen all playing at the same time. Yes, admittedly, not all in the same stage, not all having achieved that immortality yet. Players like Hayden and Ponting and Gilchrist, as you say, were, were very much at the beginning of their careers. But you look at the Australian l- lineup: Hayden, Slater, Langer, War, War, Ponting, Gilchrist. And then the Indian lineup, okay, Ramesh and Das as the openers, perhaps, you know, didn't quite go on in the same way. But then the middle order of Dravid, Tendulkar, Ganguly, Latchman. I mean, in the second innings of that game, Dravid batted six. So the two number six batsmen were Dravid and Ponting. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's absurd. <laughs> it's absurd. And it's, it's like, also, I would just occasionally watching it have like a little kind of shiver uh, when it would, you know, when the little graphic would come up as it moved on to the next highlight and it says, you know, who's bowling to who. They would come up and say, warn to Tendulkar. And I'd just feel like, I mean, it's mental. Like they, There was a time when we just took that for granted. Yeah. It's extraordinary, you know, two of the all-time great cricketers facing off. Um, I mean, maybe one day I'll feel the same watching highlights and it says... Anderson to Coley I suppose it's one of those things that you know you don't fully appreciate it until it's it's over but it is it is quite remarkable just how many legends are all playing in that in that series yeah and there's definitely an element of mystique though about when you're slightly younger the players that are or the people that are at the top of the game then do have a kind of uh, yeah an almost like disproportionate I mean it's almost hard to separate your own nostalgia and stuff from you know, from, from reality. Yeah, I agree. But, but, it, but then it, it equally, you know, Ward and Tendulkar are obviously like two of the all-time greats, like the all-time, all-time greats. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, yeah, just as you say, when the cards came out, one thing that struck me was how old the Australian team was. I think, was it maybe Gillespie was the youngest at 25, but they were, you know, we talked about the test recently, the documentary about the Australian team coming back from Sandpaper Gate. Um, and, you know, a lot of the players, you know, there are some more experienced heads, of course, but a lot of the players are, are basically kids um, or very young players, very inexperienced. Uh, and But even though, yeah, even though the likes of sort of Hayden and, and Gilchrist perhaps hadn't played that many tests, they were still proper men at that point. How much kind of confidence that Australian team must have had, not just in their own ability, but just by their kind of their age and their um, experience. Yeah, what they'd done by that point. You know, they're it's just staggering, like a proper juggernaut. Yeah, the Wall brothers were both 35, I think, at the time. Yeah. But even someone like Glenn McGrath, who was probably about our age now, I mean, that's crazy to think that that's the case. Yeah. Because, you know, I'll, I'll never be as old as Glenn McGrath was <laughs> in that series. I was gonna, can I just say my absolute favourite moment, though, by absolute distance, and it made me laugh. And I was just incredibly excited. It is just the winning wicket. The look on McGrath's face is an absolute classic. And the umpire, SK Bansell, 
<laughs> you know, I, I didn't really quite realize the story or you know realize sort of you know the role that he'd played it's really hard to watch these kind of highlights you expect ball tracking to come in after every wicket every lbw decision you know when they're showing the replay you just it's kind of like ingrained in us now i think you just expect them then to go on to hawkeye and, and show you know show the ball coming through so i don't know it's hard to judge i think some of the decisions looked you know somewhat generous Yes, I would agree let's, with that. Let's say that. Uh, but yeah, what, one of the umpires, uh, the, the Indian umpire in the match was yeah a, a chap called SK Bansal, who umpired six matches, six test matches in his career, spanning 1993 to 2001. And yeah, this match was his last, his last in the middle because he was over six. Well, he was over sixty at the, the time of the match. There was some, you know, I, I felt like some of his decisions in the match were somewhat generous. The winning. <laughs> the, the wicket that wins it, Harbhajan Singh to McGrath. It's just amazing. It's just an amazing sequence of shots. Genuinely, Bansal's got his finger up. I'm pretty sure before it hits the pad. <laughs> Which is, you need to, can you get the video up? So you see it hit the pad. It cuts out. Bansal's got his, his his fingers coming up. Then it cuts to McGrath, whose face is amazing. And then <laughs> it just cuts back to Bansal. It's like he's hitting uh, like a, a six straight back over the bowler's head. He's like stepping into the finger. It's just <laughs> brilliant. And his face just made me laugh so much. He like takes about three steps, three steps forward with the finger. And obviously like, you know, the Indian team go mad. Uh, yeah, just it, it made me laugh and kind of get out my seat almost watching it. You saw it in the first innings as well. I'm not, I'm not sure if I even mentioned that this, that game was also famous for the Harbhajan Singh hat trick. Um, the first hat trick by an Indian bowler in Test cricket, um, but again, watch, watching that, certainly one and arguably two of them are not out. <laughs> Gilchrist is given out LBW, absolutely smashes the cover off it, and then next ball, Warren is caught at short leg, but it it's it's very possibly a bump ball, like he hits it into the ground first. But again, the umpire's just like yes. That's yeah. out. Even Tony Gregg on commentary, there's a couple of decisions. I, I mean, his commentary is brilliant, and there's there's so many moments where he goes, "Yes, no, yes," and stuff like that. <laughs> but even that moment, yeah, that the the what looks like a bump ball, like you just don't see enough replays of it before the third umpire makes the decision. I've got that uh, that bit of footage up. I could play the commentary. He is like striding forward, the umpire. It, it almost looks like he's going to follow through like, into the celebrations. <laughs> but I didn't, so I didn't realize there's actually there's an article from March 2001. So was that after the series or was it after the. Uh, yeah, same, around the same time. Yeah, I don't know if it's like. But yeah, just an article in Crick Info where he's, um, uh, he's, he's quoted as saying he has no regrets, but yeah, it's brilliant. Opening line, umpire SK Bansal has a unique distinction. India has won all six test matches he's officiated in. But yeah, he gets basically gets retired because he's too old at that point. That is a funny moment. Yeah, I love that. But actually, but actually talking about the celebrations and the kind of, you know, the energy and the excitement, it's something else that, that struck me just immediately when I turned the highlights on is the size of the crowd. Yeah. Uh, Eden Don's in, in Kolkata and it's just absolutely rocking. It's estimated there are around 100,000 people there. I think it does make a difference to how good a test match and how good a test series it was. Like, you know, if the stadium had been empty, if it had been played in Abu Dhabi or something, 
it would still have been a very good game. It was still, you know, it, it wouldn't have changed anything about the the um, the the play, the cricket. But would we still be talking about it now? Not necessarily. You know, I I, I do think the 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 crowd play a sort of underrated an underappreciated role in the, in those sorts of moments and it's it's maybe something to bear in mind actually for you know the sort of short to medium term future of of cricket and of sport more widely in, in terms of like post virus planning you know you're seeing talk of them like the premier league potentially being played behind closed doors and and i think you know cricket authorities are presumably thinking about this and whether they play the IPL or the World T20 behind closed doors, etc. It's I can see why they would do that, but it, it just it would lose a lot if they do do that. Um, whether it's still better to do that than have nothing is uh, is an open question. It may well be true, but it you know it's easy to um, to forget how how important the crowds are. If they're going to play behind closed doors, they should play on like just really beautiful village, like village grounds or something, like not with big stands and stuff. Yeah, play with no one around, but play just, you know, just, I don't know, airdrop players into, you know, some of the most beautiful kind of small, quaint kind of pitches around, you know, around various countries. Airdrop? That'd be, that'd be quite a good, quite a good start to the game, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, like, yeah, like I'm a celebrity or something. Just get parachuted in. Well, I was going to say that's a really good idea. Not the airdrop part, but that actually is a really good idea. So, yeah, to play in sort of beautiful, small village grounds from around the world would be a lot better than, yeah, an empty Edgebaston or something. Steve Steve Waugh gets 100 in the first innings, a very good 100. And just watching him bat, memories came flooding back. I don't know if this was the same view thing, but I sort of had a sudden moment of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember doing this. It's the same watching McGraw bowl, actually. And, yeah, in that first innings, he bowled 14 overs, took four for 18. Uh, an annoyingly large part of my childhood was spent watching those two grind England down. And I, I mentioned when we were talking about the 2005 Ashes, I really didn't, at the time, appreciate how good that Australian team was. I wasn't, at the time, going like, oh, this is such a privilege to watch this team play. Um, I was just annoyed. I was annoyed having to watch Steve Wall bat so much. But now, you know, with the benefit of of hindsight, um, it is I do sort of think like, oh yeah, that was he was great. He was a great player. And it's quite it's quite, it's quite frustrating actually, in, in a sense, like the missed opportunities in a way, sporting opportunities to watch great players and stuff. Like when you're a kid, like you know, we we come from Guernsey. Yeah, you know, Matt Letizia was in his absolute prime. Uh, you know, Guernsey's most famous and most brilliant footballer was in his absolute prime, you know, mid nineties and stuff. Like, why did I not go and watch him at the Dell? Even though like probably coming to school, people would be like, Oh yeah. Do you see the gold mat? You just sort of took it for granted. Uh, and now, you know, now certainly with a few friends who talk about Matt Letizia probably once a week, at least I reckon. Um, I yeah. just think like, what, what was I doing? Why did not, why did someone not say look, we're going, we're going over to watch him play? But anyway, same with this. But equally, I blame the parents. Equally, like I've never watched Roger Federer play live, but yeah, I'm still like, ah, I'm sure you know I'll go next year. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, we, you know, in the words of uh, Banana Rama, Banana Rama, maybe Joni Mitchell. I get them mixed up. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah, and yeah, just one one other stray observation. I've forgotten that Tendulkar took those wickets at the end. He takes like three wickets and he's kind of break the game open. 
in that final innings. It's uh, and having like failed in the match with the bat, was he? Well, he made ten in the first innings. Oh yeah, ten and ten. So, but yeah, still a massive contribution, as you say, with those uh, like three absolutely crucial wickets. How good is that Latchman innings, Tony? You talked about it a bit already. Also, yeah, worth saying you got a 50 in the first innings as well and 60 in that run chase in Chennai. Uh, but that 281, I mean, I think it is one of the greatest innings of all time. It has to be in the conversation. Just the attack he was facing, the stage of his career, as I mentioned, you know, he was very early in his career, the pressure, the situation of the game, the fact that it was completely hopeless when he came in and that he turned it around and ended up engineering one of the all-time great comebacks one of the all-time great victories you know i think it really has to be up there it has to be up there with ben stokes and kusal Pereira, and uh, lara and you know all those others that we were talking about last summer and it's an interesting one because i'm not sure that england fans would rate latchman as highly as australian fans probably do because I, I think i'm right in saying that latchman only averaged 30 or so against england we never really saw that kind of form against England but he always seemed to turn it on against Australia and averaged 60 or 70 against them so I, I feel like we are probably slightly um I was gonna say slightly lax that might be the wrong word but you know yeah. we're, we're maybe slightly lax and kind of we we don't necessarily include Latchman in the conversation of uh you know kind of great players of this era but um you know maybe Australian fans would do he and Dravid batted all day on that fourth day batted all day without losing a wicket Australia went through I think only Steve Waugh and Gilchrist didn't bowl. All the others bowled. I I definitely don't remember seeing Hayden or Slater bowl in, in Test cricket. Um, and yeah, they just made McGrath, Warren, and Gillespie. As I say, you know that that is one of the all-time great attacks. Um, they just made them look impotent. So yeah, uh, extraordinary innings. The other sort of big performer, of course, Harbajan finished with 13 wickets in the match, 32 in the series, hat trick in the first innings. As I mentioned, the first. Indian bowler ever to do that, although Gilchrist definitely was not out, Warren arguably not out as well. Easy to forget how exciting Harbajan was when he first came on the scene. He was only 20 in that series. He only played because, well, he may have played, but he, he only sort of became the the, uh, the the main spinner because Anil Kumble was injured. He was such an exciting talent, such an exciting prospect when he burst through. It's probably fair to say that he never quite lived up to that bidding. Like that series is almost certainly the high point of his career. Um, but, you know, he, he is immortal uh, in Indian cricket history because of that series. And I think it's it's probably true to say as well that that series changed Indian cricket forever. The self-confidence and the belief that, you know, that the future of cricket belongs to them. I do think that a lot of what we've seen since with the IPL, with the World Cup win in 2011, with the, the rise to the number one test team, with the kind of you know, arguably hostile takeover of, of global finances. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that this 2001 victory was the, the cause of those things, because arguably it's as much a symptom of the change that was occurring as any of those other things. But I think you can certainly trace a lot back to it. Like you can, for me, I think it's one of the, the, the first real signs that change was on the wind. And it, as I say, in terms of the, uh, the, the self-confidence that it instilled, it's, uh, it's a very significant moment. In the history of cricket, and it's just a, it's just a great series, magnificent series. I really enjoyed watching those YouTube highlights, and I would thoroughly recommend listeners to do it, especially if they're they're missing they're missing the cricket as much as I am at the moment. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, Tane, well, uh, okay. moving on. Just, uh, a couple of bits and pieces to pick up on from the previous pod. Um, first thing to say is that I finished the test. I finished that uh, docuseries on, on Amazon. We talked about this last time, did a, did a review. I was only halfway through at that point. I think I was quite effusive about it. I think I was, you know, I was, I was very positive about the series. I really think, though, that it gets better and better as it goes on. By the end, I was like, this is actually brilliant. The last couple of episodes, which are about the ashes, are just compelling viewing. I think to get that kind of window into, you know, into one of the dressing rooms during an ashes series, it's not something I've ever really seen before. And it's, it's phenomenal viewing. You finished it. Yeah, well, I agree. Yeah. Like, I think we both had a couple of episodes left, right? Last time we spoke. Yeah, I had four and you had one, I think. Oh, smashing it at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. It, yeah, no, I agree. Completely agree. It was, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, obviously the Headingley, yeah, the Headingley test and, and the aftermath of that, uh, yeah, it's really interesting how they sort of how they handle it. Um, you mentioned the chat I had with Will Peatford. I can't remember if we left this in, but, you know, he was saying just, yeah, how excruciating he felt or, how excruciatingly bad he felt for Nathan Lyon being made to watch back the missed run-out chance. And I have to mm. say, like, um, I know, like, Lyon cops, you know, is not necessarily the most popular um, player, certainly from an English perspective. But I, I find him really entertaining, and, and I, I definitely warmed to him a lot in, this, in the series. I thought it was quite funny. I really liked the, just the, the chat about, you know, how he's just constantly nervous, even though he's now hugely experienced. He's still extremely nervous before every game, and you know, his teammates will sort of come up, up to him when he's running on, being like, oh, you know, big day for you, Gaz, and stuff. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, it's just great chat. Um, that was top banter. Yeah. You need to learn from that sort of banter. Oh, I know, I need to bring that into my own game, really. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought I thought he was quite funny and quite, um, yeah, I thought he spoke pretty pretty well about things. Everyone comes up pretty well, and that would probably be my only criticism of it, is that it's arguably a little bit too friendly, like not to say that, people shouldn't be coming off well but you know what i mean is you tend you tend to only really see the the positive stuff i think you know um there's one there's one moment where justin langer kicks over a bin because he's so angry about something and apparently he was crossed that the filmmakers left that bit in and implying that perhaps there were other things that were edited out and and even just stuff on the field like it doesn't really get into for example david warner's struggles in that series you know it focuses much more on like smith being brilliant and doesn't so much focus on people who are having a hard time 
tests. And like if you hadn't, you know, if you'd only watched the tests and you hadn't watched the Ashes, you probably wouldn't know that, for example, David Warner was having a really hard time. So that would probably be my only criticism of it. I, I mean, I guess I have some sympathy for that, though, in the, in the sense that, um, you know, what is it, eight, eight episodes um, covering, you know, a couple of years and, you know, even something like an Ashes test match, they have to kind of whiz through some of the stuff. So, you know, I guess it's probably, you know, it's like, it's like a, a you know, happy accident probably for, for certain players that, that, yeah, as you say, kind of their own struggles maybe get glossed over in favour of focusing on someone like, you know, Smith and his his heroics. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I take that point. I mean, I could have watched another eight episodes easily. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'd love to see Warner suffering through that, but just like it, it, uh, it doesn't feel like a complete picture necessarily. If it, if it had been an equivalent thing for the England team, I would have wanted to see the the kind of light and shade and the the yeah, not to pick on him again, but be interesting, <laughs> interesting to see, for example, Keaton Jennings and how he's coping. <laughs> I don't know if you're still listening, Keaton, but I'm really sorry. As well as focusing on Ben Stokes, but anyway, it's it's a minor it's a minor criticism. Uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, it doesn't sort of even take a mark off for me. It, it's a it's a really really good series. I think as well, massive credit to the the you know the filmmakers, if you like, um, just the whole thing, the way it blends. You know, you know, obviously like broadcast footage with with the shots, presumably the extra shots that they they were getting, you know, around the ground and stuff, and. Um, the interviews and stuff it's so it's visually a real treat and actually so uh, yeah since then i've started watching sunderland till i die i think i'm going to binge all these sports documentaries that i've never got around to watching all that free time hey it's an absolute gift but actually you know obviously a very different uh series and, and it, you know interesting and and um and well done in its own way but but and i don't know whether it's just the, the comparison with cricket and football but certainly the way that the matcher, matches are handled in that isn't nearly as visually um, satisfying as it is in the test. So, yeah, I think all round it's it's done really well. Well, another thing we were talking about on the show last time was uh, the email we had from a listener by the name of Noah, uh, who's an American. Uh, Why did he say Who's an American. <laughs> an American. Uh, was sort of asking us for advice on how, on how an American might go about getting into cricket. We gave him uh, some... You know, I'm not sure how useful, but we we attempted to give him some advice. We also said, you know, invited uh, Americans out there listening to us to uh, to get in touch with some advice of their own, and they've been doing that. So uh, just to read a, a couple of the messages we've had, this email has come in from James, who says, "Hello, great podcast. I'm responding to your question regarding how an American might get into cricket." Uh, growing up, I had been aware of the great West Indies and Australian teams from the occasional coverage on US shows like Wide World of Sports. There's also a famous Cosby Show episode where Cliff argues about the relative merits of baseball versus cricket with his West Indian friends. However, I didn't watch my first full match until ESPN started streaming games on its ESPN3 platform. England's 2010 tour of Bangladesh was the first time I remember it being offered. <laughs> hey ho, what a way to start. <laughs> I found it quite accessible by just watching matches and continually ref- referencing the Wikipedia articles while viewing. The more I watched and the more I reread Wikipedia, the more things began to click. I didn't find I needed someone to explain things to me. I, <laughs> I felt a bit bad when I read that because that was my main advice last time. I was like, you need a friend to explain. You need someone knowledgeable to explain it to you. And uh, yeah, I feel that, you know, in retrospect, that may have been a bit condescending. 
that means talking down to someone. I know so. the feeling. Um, James goes on, it probably also helped quite a bit. I saw some tremendous Kevin Peterson and Saeed Ajmal performances to help hook me. So maybe another recommendation is to make sure to identify the most exciting batsmen and bowlers to watch when you are trying to develop an interest. It's a good, good suggestion. Uh, he then says, as for baseball, because we were um, being quite uh, sniffy about baseball last time, he says, as for baseball, I make these suggestions. Start with playoff games. They are far more exciting than the regular season. Uh, although, interestingly, I find watching test cricket has made me appreciate the grind of the long MLB season much more than I did the misery. <laughs> Um, the other is that both attention sports, but the roles are batsmen slash batters and bowlers slash pitchers in creating that tension are reversed. Runs are tough to come by in playoff baseball, just like wickets are in test cricket. Much of the excitement is in the ratcheting up of tension rather than the actual action on the field. Thanks for the great shows. Jim. That's really, that's great, actually. Cause, yeah, to be fair, I've not really, the only baseball I've watched has been diabolical, as in, like, it's been, the, the, it's been like terrible, like, objectively terrible teams at that time playing in meaningless matches. So actually, yeah, the idea that I should have got anything more out of it is probably fanciful. No, I, I do think that's a really good point. Yeah. One of the games I went to was in LA and it was uh, the Dodgers versus the Padres, I think. And it finished one, nothing um, with the one being like a, you know, when they, um, when they like throw so many foul balls that they walk to the next base. And that happened enough times that they got around and got one point. It was a terrible game between two teams, as you say, that weren't very good and it was a meaningless match. Uh, and I suppose the equivalent in cricket would be like somebody watching, um, I don't know, like a, a couple of really ropey teams uh, in the BPL or something or the T20 Blast or whatever, but, you know, in a, in a dead rubber and uh, watching a bad game and then just writing off the whole sport. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, this email from uh, Daniel says, uh, Gents, I'm an American listener who's enjoyed your show for years. I was inspired to write in after your response to Noah's question on your last episode. I think it could be an absolute delight for cricket fans of any tenure if you hosted a viewing party for the second innings of the World Cup final or something similar. Riveting sport with clear context and short enough for newbies. Thanks so much for providing so much entertainment over the years. What do you think about that idea, Tony? Well... So I think Sky Sports did a rerun, didn't they, recently, of the whole of the World Cup final with uh, I think Ben Stokes, Joe Root, um, Nasser, and Athers, was it? And um, what's your point? And my point was that loads of people were like basically telling them to shut the f*** up and like, let, let them watch the match. So, you know, if, if, if the literal hero of... Um, I know it was a heading the test, wasn't it? it you yeah. know, if the literal hero of the match people don't want to listen to. I don't know whether they'd want to, uh, w- you know, whether we could do much better, but I'm, you know, I'm prepared to give it a go. It certainly never stopped us before, Tane, the idea that people might not want to hear what we've got to say. So um, anyway, it's a good suggestion. We'll, you know, we're probably not going to do that like tomorrow, but we'll, uh, we'll think about it. It depends how long lockdown goes on for and uh, how desperate we are for content. Um, but then finally, this, uh, this message came in on Facebook from Nick. Um, he says, uh, Hi, Alan and Tony. I am an American cricket fan, an American cricket fan who, from what it sounds like, is about 15 years further down the road with the sport than Noah. In 2007, I took a group of high school students to Belize to help rebuild a school. It was March and I was 22. So while I wanted to go on the trip for all of the right reasons, I was despondent about missing the March Madness basketball tournament, which more or less dominates American sport. After some preliminary research, I found out Belize was a cricketing nation that it was a World Cup year and that the World Cup was in the West Indies. 
Belize being just a little west of Jamaica. I read the rules of cricket on Wikipedia and practiced on a used copy of Brian Lara cricket until I had something of a working knowledge. When I went to Belize then, I enjoyed the tournament with the locals and didn't miss the basketball tournament as much. When I returned to America, however, I continued to follow the game on Crick Info and eventually found the World Cricket Show early in the programme's tenure. Brackets, Adam and Tony probably remember me as the manager of the T20 fantasy team wedged between them for about three hours during the early stages of the last World T20. Now I play cricket locally. I have a team MVP trophy, more equipment than my wife would like, a nickname, Big Show, I'm tall with a beard and have a propensity for boundaries, and a big toenail that won't correctly grow due to a Yorker from a bowler who looks like Shikadawa. My bookshelf is loaded with cricket books, and I even wrote a semi-successful cricket blog for a while. Now I find myself on the board of a national youth cricket organisation. Weird. Noah's story, being an Anglophile, the Premier League, Arsenal, sounded similar to my own. So I thought you guys might put me in touch with him so I could provide him with some resources and help him get into the game according to his comfort level. Thanks, Nick. That's an amazing message, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think many people would get into cricket via Belize. Yeah, no, very cool. Thanks for getting in touch. As I mentioned last time, there are we are, we know that there are a great many uh, Americans listening to this, Americans, Canadians, people from all sorts of uh, countries that are not sort of traditionally cricketing powers. Um, so yeah, do get in touch and share your stories of, of you know how you got into it, how you perhaps stumbled across it, or you know what it was that led you uh, to get involved. And uh, keep spreading the word about the World Cricket Show because clearly. That's the key to all this, isn't it? From a, from a sample of World Cricket Show listeners, it seems that the World Cricket Show is really important. Categoric evidence. Well, Tang, we've just been talking about that incredible India-Australia series in March 2001. I thought we could maybe make this episode into a bit of a like an I Love 2001-style retrospective. Talk more about 2001, because just a few short months after that unforgettable <laughs> test series... Uh, Tony, you and I were involved in some action on the cricket field that neither of us have ever been able to forget either. I just want to say, I just want to flag up here that um, this is about to get quite self-indulgent. You know, if you're a new listener uh, or you're not interested in hearing some uh, some tragic tales from our junior cricket team, uh, look away now. Um, But yes, do you remember, Tony, in uh, in July 2001? when we represented Guernsey under 14s on a tour of the Isle of Wight. It was some kind of like uh, cricket festivals, like a, a, a junior counties competition. And for some reason, Guernsey were considered to be on a level with some of these county sides. So we were there with like Hampshire, teams like that. Have you got the list of teams there? I don't. I, I, it's just from memory. I know Isle of Wight were involved. It was yeah. us, Isle of Wight, and then I think like Hampshire and some of the other southern counties. Yeah. And it was quite an eventful tour, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it was. Um, I think it's probably not a an overstatement to say it, it's very much kind of defined our cricket career and curtailed it at the same time, didn't it? Still really coming to terms with it now. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I feel like I need, yeah. 20 years lie. later, is it now? Yeah, I do feel like I need to sort of lie down on a couch and uh, talk to someone about it. So we're going to sort of do that to some extent now. We're going to try and exercise some of those demons, perhaps. I think we've probably shared most of these stories on the podcast at least once in the past. Um, but I don't think we've ever done it all in one go. I don't think we've ever done like a sort of, uh, you know, 
start to finish chronological retelling of the tour. So listeners may have heard some of these stories before. Apologies if we're repeating ourselves, but we we thought we'd indulge in some uh, in some re- in some reminiscing. But to uh, to add a bit of colour to the discussion and you know and a, another perspective, uh, we thought we'd dial up our old pal and listeners' favourite London correspondent Gordon McRae, who was on that tour with us, uh, and and do some reminiscing with him too. And we started so. Um, by looking at a photo, so I I, um, I, sp- I, uh, I got in touch with a couple of the other lads who were on that tour and asked them for their memories. One of them didn't reply, uh, the other one didn't really remember much, but did have an absolute treasure trove of photos from the tour, which he sent to me. So uh, when we had Gordon on, uh, I started by sharing a photo that our friend Arian had sent me. Wow. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So for the listeners at home, it's a, a 14-year-old Tony in a white shirt and school tie, I think. Is that school tie? Yeah, travelled smart. In what well, I think is Southampton Airport, uh, clutching a trophy with the goofiest grin I've ever seen on his face. What trophy is that? What I don't know. What is that on the way out or is that on the way home? <laughs> it cannot be on the way home. It can't have been. It's just that they gave you best batsman before we went on tour. <laughs> <laughs> it's already done deal. In the program notes, you are described as a wicketkeeper and a very fine batsman. Very so, fine batsman. Although batsman is the plural of batsman, I just noticed in that program note. So. Very fine batsman. <laughs> well, what you're talking about there, Gordon, is uh, yeah, that there was a, a program produced for this tournament with sort of one-sentence descriptions of everyone who's going to be playing in it. And was it you that found this, or someone still had it? I found it clearing out my parents' um, loft, like, yeah, sometime last year. And it is, like, quite a stunning piece of literature. And I think, like, I don't want to put a weight on it, but I do feel like this tour was sort of the beginning of the end of my cricket career. <laughs> I think it's the beginning of the end of a lot of things for me. Like, <laughs> Psychologically, you like, you look through some of the descriptions of the other teams, and it's like I don't know, like Nathan Bedingford like opens his bat, opens the batting for Hampshire County, like averages 110, like yeah. bowling 19, and you you Fleeman fast bowler, yeah. fast bowler, yeah, like captain of the school team at nine years old, and you you flicked at Owen and describes like our star bowler Simon Delarue. Who like legitimately must be have been bowling about seventy miles an hour when we were like was frightening to face in the nets for us. Yeah, and he's described as a quickish, quickish bowler in the <laughs> program notes. I was going to say, I genuinely thought Simon at that point I would have struggled if you put him and Shah Akhtar next to each other in the nets and like put like balaclavas on them. I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. I don't think that's that's how I kind of. How I perceived, you know, as you say, McRae, our quickest bowler's pace. Then for him to be, you know, written dumbed down in the program was uh, that was a real kick in the teeth. <laughs> really, sort of set expectations, I think, for what we could expect on that tour. To be fair, I mean, the, the description of almost everyone are like that, but you two actually come out of it quite <laughs> well, inexplicably well. Uh, Gordon, you're described as off-spin bowler and great fielder. Great I don't, where, I don't know where that came from. I think the great is actually underlined in the program. <laughs> in your one, yeah. These are all, um, these are all written by our, by our coach, incidentally. Um, so you're described as Austin Bond and Great Fielder. Tony, you're described as wicketkeeper and very fine batsman, neither of which are true, I don't think. Well, I, d- I don't um, think I've kept wicket in about four years at that point. And you're also on a run of 11 or 12 consecutive ducks going in 
into this tour. Uh, yeah, other people were described as things like uh, Ari and Green, correct batter who can bowl telling leg breaks. <laughs> it's couched, couched in so much in your window what that actually means. Yeah. Jamie Lisbon, a capable swing bowler that has now reined back his attacking batting style. And then I was described the last name in the program. Right obviously, like you, were, you were bumped in. I think there was someone who couldn't make the tour bath, and you were hastily <laughs> added to the end of these program notes. Adam Bayfield, medium pace bowler who is enjoying his batting. <laughs> That's the most damning description of anyone I've ever read. I think whoever, yeah, I don't know which of our Your, coaches um, wrote. So I was going to say I don't know which of our coaches wrote. Those pen pictures, as I think they were described to us at the time, but whoever they were, they they must surely have had like a potentially a career in kind of government communications or something. It's just the spin, the level of spin, you know, trying to dress up. Even you could kind of you can you can just feel the, you know, when he when he got to Anthony Kerr at that point, you know, how the hell am I going to describe his batting? Well, it's actually it's a masterclass in faint praise. It's yeah. like he's he's build it's building us up, and yet at the same time completely shattering our confidence, all in the same in the same breath. Seeing that program, that was the first clue for me that we were in real trouble on that tour. What do you remember, Gordon? That's a big question. But what when you think about that tour, what's the first thing that springs to mind? <laughs> the first thing, and it is just a very vivid big image I have of the accommodation that we stayed in <laughs> yeah. in that tour which was we were obviously like it was and if, if I remember it correctly it was billed as like the Isle of Wight like southern counties festival of cricket right so it was like county level teams from across southern England and then Guernsey yeah and we were all I'm fairly sure all the teams were put up in these like Ponton style uh like makeshift caravans right it was like a Ponton's like Butlins type Side camp that we yeah, were staying. caravan park we were staying in yeah I remember on like the second or third night we our caravan and battery that you were in the same caravan that, that I was in we got into like a wet paper uh, toilet paper fight with one of the other teams um, and I just have a very vivid memory of of waking up in the morning and coming into the main room where you were sleeping you hadn't been given a bed <laughs> yeah, you just no had you had you were sleeping on the sofa in sort of one of those like thin air airplane blankets sort of with no pillar huddled up on the sofa there was just like wet paper towels strewn everywhere the bathroom door was hanging off its hinges and there was like page three of the sun just like strewn <laughs> everywhere you're making it sound like this is all my, my fault <laughs> It's very much sort of like like Euro '96, like the England team going to the manga before the tournament. It was that sort of vibe, is, is my memory of this tournament. <laughs> also, like similarly, similar levels of hubris, like the idea that we were getting involved in some kind of like war with another team. Yeah, it does. <laughs> the idea that we were running around going like, yeah, take that, like no one messes with Guernsey, and then like walk up the next day and get bowled out like. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely couldn't back that up on the cricket field. Another clue, perhaps, that I'd been bumped onto the tour at the last minute it was that there wasn't a bed for me in the caravan, so I had to sleep on this sofa. It wasn't, it wasn't actually a sofa, it was like a bonquette in the caravan living room. But we were sharing that caravan with one of our coaches as well, who was probably like 25 at the time. And uh, he went out, like, out on the town and came back at like two in the morning, burst in. 
turned the light on, was like fussing around in the kitchen, and then looked over and was like, "Oh, sorry, I forgot you were out here." And <laughs> sat down on the box bed, so we turned on the TV and we watched Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for like two and a half hours in the middle of the night. So in terms of what happened on the field, it just kind of went from bad to worse, really, didn't it? I think we, I think we played four games. Is that right? The first one was against Isle of Wight, as I remember, and I, so I was a bowler and had always batted 10 or 11. But because everyone was terrified of the actually quick bowlers we were facing, rather uh, unbelievably, I was promoted to open in in that game. So, I, you know, I was at 10 or 11. I was a sort of Matthew Hoggard type, just block it. I could just I could just defend. I had no shots, but I was quite happy to defend. You know, coming in, needing to bat out like 10 overs to save the game, that was... You know, that was my wheelhouse. But if we needed like 20 to win, I was struggling. Um, but yeah, so I, I was promoted to open and everyone was like, uh, yeah, yeah, go on, Bayfield. Yeah, you you know, go out there, blunt them, blunt those quick bowlers. And I remember <laughs> the coach taking me and the, uh, me and my opening partner aside before we went out and saying, look, there's 50 overs to bat here or whatever. It, I don't know if it's 50, 40 or so. As long as one of you is there at the end, we've got a great chance. So uh, I went out probably left the first three or four deliveries, played a few defensive shots, left a few more. Uh, and then I just heard from behind me <laughs> in, in the dressing room, I heard, get on with it. <laughs> Went for a massive swipe at the next ball, edge to the slips. And the next game was back down to number 11. <laughs> your, your rise and fall in the batting order for that tour was quite something to behold. <laughs> Yeah. strange laws of gravity <laughs> I remember that game um, I, I came in I think I replaced you in, in the last back in the last <laughs> batsman Bayfield and, and it was me and Seb Chick we came in and I think we were something ridiculous like 45 for 8 or 9 or so we, no, for, it must be for 9 because we were the last wicket partnership and I just adopted the same strategy that you used to take and we just, we just blocked out I think we must have blocked out about 12 overs for about 4 runs um, <laughs> thinking we, back on that now, like when I, when I used to do that, because I did do it four or five times, I, I, my thought process was like, everyone's going to think I'm such a hero for this. <laughs> Actually, everyone was probably anxious to get away to like, go for lunch. But, uh, like, yeah, let's get on with it. Two or three runs in like 45 minutes. It's probably not the most, <laughs> I was probably not the most popular man. I remember your, bo- your batting. I remember your batting at that stage, though. You, you were. I can I can picture you. You're just trying to play everything, everything, kind of just into like just backward of point. Forward defense and cut. Those are my t-shirt. I can't remember forward defense. All I can remember is a really late. Like you were sort of chopping at full balls all the time. So so we got yeah very heavy defeat in the first game. And then the second game, I I can't remember who we were playing, but it was some county side. Uh, we, we rocked up the next day for the second game. Uh, batted first. Uh, and mustered a whopping 22 all out. I was, I'd just like to say I was dropped for that game, so I had nothing to do with that, that result. I'm going to send you another picture now, actually. So I've just sent Tony and Gordon a picture of the scoreboard from that day. Wow. And it's, there's three numbers on there. First innings, 22. Total, 26. Overs, four. Unbelievable. Overs is- 
The overs is the most damning part about that because I'm fairly sure it was all over by 11 o'clock. Yeah, we played another game. The second that, game. Yeah, we, we mixed the team game. They were like, let's game. mix the teams up. That's the ultimate humiliation. Uh, amazing, though, that one of our teammates had the presence of mind to actually take a photo of the scoreboard. And then the third game, so that was uh, that was your that was your kind of crowning Finest moment. moment yeah. Remember this? Have you got a photo of this as well? I don't have a photo, unfortunately. I wish I did, but it is, it's burned on my memory. I remember. Sorry, so that second game, as you say, like I, and it's not. It's unclear how many ducks in a row I'd made going into the tour. I don't know. It must have been. It must have been in like realistically six or seven. I think going into the tour, it's been inflated. I think it has. But still, six or seven was a decent run, um, and I, I, yeah, I vividly remember the going into bat in the twenty-two all out, and it was a what you you must remember the name of the ground. Ventnor. Was it Ventnor? It was down. It was at Ventnor. Yeah, it, it was. It's a kind of an odd ground because it slopes up. Yeah. Back and and like behind the wicket and in front of the wicket, right? So it's like a bowl. And the way they, I remember the way the coaches described it to us before we went on the tour. They were like, yeah, so the second game, we're going to play at this beautiful ground. It's like a, it's a bowl that's sort of sunk in the ground and people like pour out of the pubs at the end <laughs> of the day. And then they're sat around this. But I was imagining some sort of like skate park bowl, yeah. like that sort of like stadium-esque. And they were like, there'll be crowds of people. And like, there was no one there to watch yeah, us. Because it was done by 11 o'clock. It was done by 11 o'clock. But it was quite an because it sloped up, up and down at either end. And then it went over the, over the, you went to the beach on the other side of it. Well, I, I remember going, yeah, I got a new Slazenger bat, which I was quite pleased with. You know, it was pretty chunky. I was looking forward to, you know, delivering a few lusty blows. Um, but yeah, I remember going out. I think I played and missed at two. Uh, and, then, and then I think I nicked the third ball to like second slip or something. I don't God knows. I can't remember how, how many down we were when I went in. I must have been batting about five or six, I reckon. And I remember being actually being quite pleased that, because having not got bat and ball for a few weeks, that I'd actually hit one. <laughs> it's just how how down on form you were. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, I was like I'm improving. I've, mani- <laughs> I've managed to nick one. I must be, uh, you know, I'm on my way up here. Put my eye back in. <laughs> we came off twenty two all out with you having made a duck. <laughs> you know, heads bowed, and he's there grinning ear to ear. <laughs> I got bat and ball, lads. <laughs> I didn't get much bat and ball, but I got it. That's for sure. Actually, that I do remember. I remember coming off and we got bowled out for 22. I remember us all being like terrified, like kind of hysterically laughing and, and sort of with fear, almost waiting for the coaches to come in thinking they were going to give us an absolute bollocking. But they actually came in and were like, look, you know, they were really kind of sympathetic and like, look, we realise you know, there are some issues here. Um, but, you know, that you're busy. You know, just try and enjoy your cricket and we'll, you know, we'll go home and we'll, we'll start from scratch kind of thing. <clears throat> but then the next day we went to the third game and because of what you did, Tone, they changed their tune. <laughs> uh, can you absolutely reamed out after that game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I think at this point you must have been going out to bat at what, like six or seven? And you went out and it, they had posted, they batted first and they... They must have posted like near, like nearly 200. In my mind, it was like three, 400 runs, but it must have been like a 25 over game. So there's no way they could have got that many, or maybe they could have done. <laughs> um, so we like, and we were already like six, six down or so. Like there was no way we were chasing that. Um, and you, 
You, to be fair, you, you, in my memory of it, you came in and you played a couple of quite sensible shots. You got back solidly on ball, you didn't nick it, a couple of defensive shots, and then you, you stroked a cover drive. Didn't quite go to the boundary, but it went for three runs or so. I just vividly remember us all standing up and applaud, like sarcastically applauding because you'd finally broken your run of ducks and you raising your bat <laughs> to the boundary and tipping it. <laughs> I don't want to say that you took off your helmet and kissed the badge. <laughs> but that's what I remember. That's, what, that's how I remember it. Uh, yeah, it wasn't far off, I don't think. To be fair, you know, you give I, I'm the fool guy here, but I was only playing to the crowd. You know, the reaction from from the here uh, from the, the balcony was huge. And I think yeah. Yeah, as you say, I didn't yeah. I didn't quite tell anyone, but I, I think I was almost getting the bat up as I ran through for the single or whatever it was, or for the yeah, the for the you know, the final run. Um, then we came off having lost that game by like 150 runs or something. <laughs> and after the previous day, when they when they did really sympathetic, when the coaches came in, we were like, "Oh yeah, hard luck, isn't it?" You know, we we gave it our best shot, and they were like, "That was absolutely unacceptable," and like <laughs> singled you out as an embarrassment. I think the phrase "fannying around," raising your bat to the boundary, was was thrown around. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, I actually, you know, if I have regrets in life, it's that I didn't really, I, got, I spent a lot of time going to cricket trading and stuff as a kid, but I don't remember really ever taking any moment of it seriously. It's not in like, you, you know, when you hear like the, the all time greats of the game, everyone always says, you know, they train, they pro- train properly. Every, every minute of training <laughs> is like focused. It's, you know, it's, it's about, you know, be able to replicate, you know, what you're going to get in the middle. I just used to think going to cricket was like, you know, you just, you'd go in the nets, you'd, pr- you'd have a slash at a few, you'd probably get about 10 balls, then you'd come out, <laughs> bom- you then spend the rest of the session bowling, um, which I would never do in a match anyway. So I'd just be like, touched, like I don't know, just trying to have a bit of a laugh in the, and then just chatting. It's weird that we never made it. Uh, it's remarkable. I blame this. Yeah. If it wasn't for this tour, I think we all three of us would be county cricketers by this point. It was quite scarring, that tour. Like, it, it you know, not just in cricket, but in all, sort, in all sorts of ways, in terms of my sort of, you know, self-confidence. And like, we, we always joke about the fact that I'm just mentally weak when it comes you know, in all sports. <laughs> in, like, mi- mini golf, I'll crumble. And I think you can trace a lot of it back to there. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was the third game where uh, Tony raised his bat and we got absolutely destroyed by the coaches afterwards but um yeah but then there was one more game i think i got dropped for that and again we got absolutely smashed. I, think, <laughs> I think one of the one of the opposition made 150 <laughs> in a junior game it's you know it's unusual so uh there was another another chastening defeat and we went back on the on the ferry with our tail between our legs uh, but then i think i think i'm right in saying that one week after that tour we played another game in Guernsey against a touring school and unbelievably plumbed new depths. Um, as we, yeah, we got bowled out for 22 on the tour, managed to surpass that in that game. But my, what was, what kind of really stands out for me with that is that they batted, but in, the, in that 22 all out, we batted first and just, you know, and it was over. They chased it down in four overs. In this game, the other team batted first. And we, I think we actually bowled them out for about 120 or so. You know, we kind of restricted them. I, I remember coming off the field and us all being like, we can actually win this, guys. There, there's a moment as well where uh, our friend David, David Knight, um, took an absolute screamer of a catch 
which I still remember, um, to probably get them like five or six down with not many on the board. And he like plucked it, you know, it was a big shot that he kind of plucked out of the air. And the look on his face and like the, the celebrate, you know, we all ran up and, and jumped on him. And it was, it was like when uh, Collingwood took that catch off Matthew Hayden. And we were like, we're going to win this, lads. <laughs> uh, and, then we, and then we went out to bat and got bowled out for 13. That's that we really got kicked while we were down at that point. That, that I think that may have been the the sort of final nail in the coffin of ever thinking that you know it might have killed all interest in cricket, of, of, certainly of playing cricket at that point. Well, I don't think we played another match, did we? I think, I think they arranged another so, thing. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly not. Silently archived our team after that. Yeah. Well, we then sort of focused on garden cricket at Adam's house, which was which was where the real. You know, I like to feel my real legacy lies. But yeah, that, yeah I do remember that batting performance. Um, yeah, just astonishing, really. 13 all out. My main memories of that is uh, our uh, opening batsman, Nick, Nick Masterson, um, scored, I think, six. And when he got out, he walked off the pitch. And we, again, we clapped him back because we were like, well, brilliant effort, that. Batted like a dream out there. <laughs> to be fair, he top scored for us, so... Yeah, I, I second top run. scored in that match with three. I was on a really good trot at that point. I made three. <laughs> I remember going in. I think I, sl- I think I, not slog swept, but I, I, it was a pretty audacious sweep. I think for for two off my first ball, and then I think I made, I scratched another one, and then got out. Although I'm pretty sure it's true to say that they didn't arrange another fixture for us. There was, I don't, I think this must have happened after the Isle of Wight. Do you remember when they had that like sports psychologist sit down with us? Yes, <laughs> in the sports hall at school, where like they had us all sat on the floor, and they said, "Right, everyone, close your eyes. What we want you to do is we want you to visualise the game. So, so, so imagine you're out, you're going out to bat, you walk out to the middle, you take your guard, now, yeah, keep your eyes closed, and visualise what happens next. So, the bowler gets to his mark, turns around, he's running in, he bowls. What happens next? And again, they turn to our friend Dave. What happens next, Dave? And he went, I get wrapped on the pads. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the, the psychological preparedness to go out and face quick bowling. It's just, it's just non-existent, wasn't it? <laughs> we were absolutely decimated mentally at that point. Funny enough as well, I, uh, yeah, I, played, I think I played two matches last summer. I think both of them I got bowled out by 14-year-olds. So not, yeah, nothing much, nothing much has changed in that sense. Do you remember the uh, like the punishment system that the coaches had? Um, they put in place. I don't know if it was some sort of like it was attempt to like build team bonding or like bonding between people. But it would if if you said something stupid or you did something stupid, you would get given this uh, stuffed toy, which was handcuffed to you for a day. Numpty. Numpty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. In fact, I've got another photo to send you. Oh, there we go. You can see that. So wow. this is this. Just <laughs> I love this. Right? Because it's it's taken in front of the pavilion at Ventnor Cricket Club, and this so is you... we got bowled out for twenty for twenty two. It says Ventnor Cricket Club above the door, so you can see Numpty is chained to somebody. Is that Jamie? Could be Jamie, Numpty. I think. Jamie is sat next to Dave, and then <laughs> on the next bench. There's Bayfield. there's Bayfield and Kerr, both padded up. Arm guards and, on. Bayfield, you look tiny. 
Uh, and are you wearing a chest plate in this? I'm not wearing a chest guard, but I'm definitely wearing an arm guard. I've got my helmet on. Your pads come up to your hips. I've got my arms folded with my bat in front of me. I'm watching the scene unfold. That is incredible. Dave, Jamie and Nick are all not wearing pads. We must have been like six or seven down to like 18 on the board at this point. I do not look impressed with the situation. I'm probably sat there thinking, like, should have sent me out to open. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're not like it's not like you asked for any throwdowns or anything. You're just kind of you're just waiting for your fate. <laughs> it is a sort of like man waiting for like being read his last rites before he's led out to be shot. I'll put these photos on our social media and I'll I'll, I'll put them in the link to the uh, I'll put a link in the description of the podcast as well. You see, Aaron had the right idea. He took photos of us when we were on that tour. Yeah. All I've got with the photos on that tour are like the grounds that we played at or like the back of the door. Yeah, I've just like, got like nothing that's of any interest from that tour whatsoever. Page three of the sun. Page three of the sun strewn across your sleeping body in the, in the chalet. <laughs> oh, what a tour! What memories! Two thousand one, a vintage year for cricket. Well, that's about it for the World Cricket Show this time. Have you enjoyed that one, Zane? Yeah, good to turn back the clock. It's been lengthy. The house um, pastry's got me through it, though. Have you been eating that? I haven't noticed you I've eating eaten it. Yeah, I've eaten it, yeah. I've scoffed it. All right, well, I hope, uh, I hope listeners uh, enjoyed some of that reminiscing. Do send us ideas for content. Uh, you know, maybe some other uh, past series that we could that we could talk about. Uh, or, or some other things, some other talking points. Even if it's things we've talked about before, let's face it, you know, we're not afraid to, to have the same discussions again. Get in touch. Give us your ideas. Uh, we're on social media. We're on Facebook at Cricket Show. We're on Twitter at Cricket Show. We're on Instagram at World Cricket Show. Or you can send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. But yeah, I think that is about it for now. Thanks for that, Tone. Stay safe. Stay, stay cool. Enjoy the rest of lockdown. Cheers, mate. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, I guess. Yeah, take it easy. Take it steady, mate. Bye for now. Treat. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.